Hello, welcome to the Probably Bad Podcast, a podcast which is definitely bad. I'm Pencil. I'm Paper. This is a very special episode. We've got the only good D&D movie ever. It is. We also have Nick here, who went to see it with me. Hello. This may or may not be a coincidence. <laughs> yeah, this is the second D&D movie I've paid money to watch, because we did buy the Choose Your Own Adventure one for 70 whole pence. That was quite a large proportion of my money back then. This one was better value. Hmm. Yeah, as I was saying, I've got a problem. My opinion on it was, eh, it's pretty good, which isn't particularly... is the least interesting thing you can say about a film, but it's pretty good. Good? Anyway, you can support us on Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> so, immediately one thing that I really liked was... All of the protagonists, with with the exception of um, Doric, honestly, I feel like her character arc was, I like some humans, I guess. Hmm. Um, but all of the others got an actual character arc, which I really liked. Yeah. It's like, that is hard in a film that is under three hours and has an ensemble cast. Yeah. Like all, the, like, all of the characters did feel like actual characters, as opposed to someone who's there to, like, make the plot move forwards. Yeah, and they, they felt like characters that you would play in a D&D game as well. Because hmm. you've got, what, you've got the guy who, I, th I think he's supposed to be a bard, but honestly reads more Rogue with a loot, which I very much enjoy. Yeah. You've got Barbarian with a Heart of Gold and a thing for short, bo for short boys. You've got the Sorcerer full of self-doubt. And then you've got the Tiefling who, yeah, is just like, um, I guess this will help save my people, so I'll come along and then get invested in the quest. Like, yeah, one thing I liked about it is the opening did very much feel like everyone showing up with their characters and the GM having to come up with a justification for each character being on the plot. Mm. There was a moment very early on where I was, I just kind of relaxed in my seat a little bit because I thought, okay, you said this, so I'm in good hands, you, you, know, you know the game, you know the world, and you, it was the arrogance when they said, oh, they, they needed um, Jonathan. Jonathan? Yeah, Jonathan, who's an Aracocra. And the fact that that was relevant somehow, I thought, okay, you're not just doing a surface level, oh, this, got, this has got orcs in it mm. thing. Mm. There's, there's a reason you're saying that. There's a reason you want an Aracocra. So that means you thought about this. And when, it, when he showed up and it was like, oh, he's not just a mate. He's somebody they're going to grab and pull out the window so they can escape because the survival instincts will kick in and they'll start flying. That was... I was just... Yeah, I, I'm being controversial here. In that, you know, you both liked it, you thought it was enjoyable. I fucking loved it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm bringing the hot take. Like, it did definitely feel like an actual D&D &D movie as opposed to just a fantasy movie. Yes, it wasn't just sword and sorcery it i think the thing about it is there were a lot there was a lot of name dropping of like D, &D canon places and things 
but not in a way that felt like winking to the camera. It just felt like, yes, you are going to mention people, places, and things because you're talking. When it's like, oh, we can go to Baldur's Gate. It's like, yeah, because that's just the place in the world. Yeah. I feel like the way they, they dealt with the fantasy um, the fantasy world was just like, all right, that's the, that's the place where it happens, and you don't necessarily need to keep track mm. of all of the of all the names mm. and everything like that, all the lore. Yeah, it did a very good job of like being like good for if you know D and D, go ah, they said the thing. But if you don't know D and D, you can still is not completely impenetrable. Yeah. Um, I really need. We really need to tell a joke at some point. <laughs> My only joke is they were thinking with portals. There was a portal in it, in case you're wondering what the context for that was. I mean, I'm assuming people listening to this episode either will have seen it when they listen or don't care about spoilers. If... So, yeah, they they get a walking stick from the Barbarian's ex, who's played by Bradley Cooper. Yep. Um, which turns out to be... A, a hither thither staff, yeah. Um, which great name, which is basically a portal gun. Great performance by Bradley Cooper, by the way. Like I think that lad's going places. Dare I say, a star is born. I wish he didn't. And yet. But yeah, they get a portal gun, and it ends up being the key MacGuffin to the whole heist that they pull off, which is very good. Yeah, a lot of the plot does have the feeling of the DM going, oh shit, you fucked this up, here's something else. Which... The paladin. <laughs> the paladin's the epitome. Yeah. The paladin is the DM PC who stops everyone dying. But that's the thing, it felt like a D&D game more than it felt like here's a sword and sorcery film. Because of things like that, because they're allowed to get things just so, so wrong that something has to just coincidentally turn up. Yeah, I mean... We actually, we're, we're actually watching uh, Chris Pine's actual play podcast. <laughs> That's what it was. If you've ever watched... The celebrity Hugh Grant. If you ever want to see... Oh, yeah, so Hugh, Hugh Grant was a surprisingly good villain, considering I only know him as, you know bumbling rom-com character. I mean, these are the words of someone that hasn't seen Paddington 2. Uh, no, it is indeed a word. I, I didn't even know there was a Paddington 2. There is, and Hugh Grant is an amazing villain in it. Mm. Have you considered having Hugh Grant a villain in your RPG campaign? Probably good RPG idea. Yeah, <laughs> hire Hugh Grant. Like, because so, again, something like my main problem I had with it is it has a bit of the um, MCU problem of putting in a lot of jokes during serious moments. But even that, again, as anyone who has played an RPG will tell you, you'll have people, like, that happens in serious moments in RPGs. So even there, it sort of works. Yeah. Yeah, and it was... I think if I was to compare it to Marvel, it would definitely be, like, Phase 1 Marvel, mm. where they still gave a shit. Yeah. Because, like, yes, people are cracking jokes, but there's also genuine emotional depth, and you mm. care about the characters. Yeah, it's like, if there's a joke when a, char 
there might be a joke where a character is like feeling really upset about them having screwed up because they can't get to their ultimate goal. But if there's something to do with like their cradling um, a body or their like, if there's something really shitty going on, they'll back off a little bit and allow that to kind of breathe. Yeah, like they're allowed to feel their feelings. It's just sometimes their feelings are awkwardness. Mm. All right, to, to com- contrast, because you brought up um, MCU thing, there was a trailer for um, Guardians of the Galaxy 3, which is mm-hmm. like, you know, it's one of the ones I've, in- I've enjoyed more, partly because of the jokes, but it ran into that problem of, I think one of the jokes they had in the trailer was um, one character had nice, nice eyes, and it was, um, there were robot eyes put in as a form of torture. But, you know, oh, they're still nice eyes. Like, yeah, you wanna, you're gonna do that as as the as the gag. You're gonna put mm-hmm. that, that in the scene, and this is representative of your tone as a film. Good job. Whereas I think if someone in this film had said, Oh yeah, the thing you just complimented me on is a part of my traumatic backstory. I think they would have gone, oh shit, never mind. Mm. Yeah. I mean, my dark secret is that I really didn't like the Guardians of the Galaxy films. I liked the first one. But it was also one of the last Marvel films I did like. Mm. I think that's that's one that actually feels like a... Um, I, I don't know much sci-fi RPG stuff but it felt that had a similar vibe of it was, a, it was like a bioware thing mm. the lighter mm. moments of of one of those but um yeah that was i was trying to save all my thoughts for the podcast and then i, I forgot <laughs> them we only stopped watching the film like four hours ago i only stopped watching the film half an hour ago <laughs> <laughs> i should i should know this Ask me trivia questions. What is Egid's daughter's name? Fuck, I forgot. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, anyway, so things I liked, I sh- things I didn't like. Because I feel I should do some things I didn't like. I didn't like the jokes, as I said. Um, the bard doesn't do any magic. Yeah, see, this is part of my theory that he's actually just a rogue that plays the lute. Mm. Like, he does some sneaky, thiefy stuff. And yeah, in in the scene, in the maze, where the sorcerer and the druid have, like, anti-magic bracelets put on them, Mm. he doesn't, and I feel like the bad guy, given that they used to work together, would know whether he has magic powers or not. Becomes... But Chris Pine does not get an anti-magic bracelet. Mm. So I think he is a rogue, not a bard. He just has a loot. What if he multi-classes in the sequel? Mm. I like to think Chris Pine has magic in real life, and that's why they couldn't put the anti-magic bracelet on him. <laughs> he has the magic of acting. <laughs> also, I love the implication that the anti-magic bracelets really work. Yeah, yeah. like, you know, they... they... They got real. It's all filmed on location in the Forgotten Realms. Was this set in the Forgotten Realms? I can't remember. Yeah. And yes, no, good. No, it was Faerun, wasn't it? Faerun. Fuck. Um. Feel free to cancel me. 
Okay, no, it is set in a world of Forgotten Realms campaign. Great. I'm okay. not going. I think I maybe don't know the difference between the Forgotten Realms and Faerun. Uh, they're the same thing. Okay, in which case, yes, it's set on the Sword Coast. Nick, edit this so it sounds like we know what D and D is. <laughs> My Listen, favorite. I've only run games, and I think only played games, in homebrew D and D settings, apart from the time I pl- I ran the Lost Minds of Fandelva. Yep. Can't expect me to know this shit. Speaking of the bard stuff, mm-hmm. um, and like whether or not he was going to actually do the bard spells and things like that, I did see somebody like argue, oh, whenever he was bigging up the sorcerer and that, he's using bardic inspiration, which I like as a take. That's fun. Um, mm-hmm. But what I do want to see in a sequel is um, is like some of the offensive bard stuff. Like, uh, yeah, he, like he, tells, he tells Bernard Manning jokes. <laughs> um, no, in the like, sequel, he gets cancelled on Twitter. <laughs> Which is just a flock of birds that yells about people they don't like. Yeah. So, Aracocra. <laughs> yes, it's Jonathan. <laughs> Jonathan's family. Like, <laughs> what the fuck? You set off a trend in that prison. <laughs> Little dick. Um, now what I want to see is like him playing an insulting song about somebody and just doing it, and like the, first they're unaffected, they're just a little bit annoyed, and then they they're like they they touch just under their nose, it's bleeding, and they don't know why. Oh, vicious mockery! Yeah, I love it. I think Hugh Grant's character should come back and be insulted to death. Well, I I do I feel like if he does show up in a sequel, it is gonna be like. Being very proud of having been redeemed by, um, I can't remember the character's name, Rene Jean Page, but be an absolute tool about it and then also turn out to have not been redeemed at all. Yeah, we were talking about this on the way back from the cinema, just like, ah, you see, I've turned a corner, I've turned over a new leaf, a fresh page of the book around the corner, oh, by the leaf. Just all that, just re- absolutely relentlessly. But he's probably doing the kind of um, like old timey preacher grift thing. And then he stabs Chris Pine. Probably. It's kind of the the opposite of the Warcraft movie for me, um, which I, I saw ages ago. In that it wasn't about Warcraft. Yes. <laughs> But also, like, that's something where I actually know more of the lore in Warcraft. Uh, more more of the like, actual canon characters in the Warcraft games and series than I do with D&D, because like uh, like most people, I, I do the homebrew stuff, and it's more fun coming up with your own characters and everything. But Warcraft was way more inaccessible to me and way more incomprehensible than this film where I'm coming in like, I know Neverwinter, I know Baldur's Gate, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And, and Icewind Dale, I guess. But just because those are names of games. Yeah, like you've seen them on books in game shops. Yeah. But yeah, it was, it was, this was very comprehensible for me, very easy f- for me to understand it, because it was basically Krull. It was basically crawl. You're right. 
And oh I'm, my god, it was Krull. I love basically Krull. Like, I will hoover that up. Like, If you're listening to this, watch Krull. Yeah, Krull's great. So, if... obviously, I know what you're talking about, but just in case the audience doesn't. Well, there's this film called Krull. And it's good. Okay. That's um, classic peak 80s sword and sorcery fantasy. You know, like, in the wake of... Um, in the wake of Star Wars and also people being really into Tolkien, just every every studio, big or small, had some kind of like classic hero narrative like like that. Just here's a guy and a bunch of random other guys of varying heights and skill sets and to go out, go out and defeat the evil guy. Guys of varying heights and skill sets is the perfect description for high fantasy. <laughs> yeah. That's that's all you need. And it's um yeah, just a, a bunch of different classes, uh, like pretty much the same as this, including one um, pathetic wizard who was played by, I think, the teacher from the nineteen um, seventies Gene Wilder Charlie and the Chocolate Factory film. It is, yeah. Okay, so the movie uh, I looked at when I found this is about a hur alligator hurricane. So I feel there's been I might have. Anyway, so moving on from my attempts to find this movie. Can you send me a link to that? That sounds like my kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it does sound like your kind of thing. It doesn't sound anything like the movie you're describing. <laughs> There's a double bill for you. Sure is. Uh, yeah, if you put an alligator hurricane in your RPG. But yeah, anyway, as Maybe I said. Maybe the next probably bad homebrew should be some sort of creature nado. There's an elephant in the room we need to discuss. And I its name is the Chode Dragon. Ah, yes. There was a big dragon. It was fat as shit. Dummy thick. I do not understand how a dragon being living basically just in a hole in the Underdark with a semi-functional breath weapon gets that far. Uh, so I saw one theory, which I do really like, which is that, you know how the assassins come back after being killed? It was just eating them over and over and over and over and over again. Um, which I don't think makes a lot of sense, but I really like. It's it's definitely a theory. I think Nick's one was just that things just wander in, and that's why we don't see any of the weird things that live in the Underdark. It has eaten... Not from the intellect of ours, I guess, but they probably just leave the dragon alone. Mm, yeah. It has eaten the entire Underdark. It, like, so, that was an actual dragon from, like, an old um, plot, older adventure. And apparently in that it was overfed intentionally to stop it from being able to wreak as much destruction. So it was either a very deep reference or coincidence, which to be fair is true of everything. I think it's coincidence because when I was reading, there's a Polygon article about sort of what mm. law they included and what law they ignored and why. And they, they said they made up the fat dragon. Mm. So I think it's a different fat dragon. It is possible there's more than one fat dragon. But yeah, we were we were debating on the way back about whether it's um, Deus Ex Draco, because it, it just kind of shows up and 
eats up the assassins, and like it does cause problems for them, mm. but it also eats up the assassins and is part of how they get out of the Underdark. And I saw it as more of a kind of picaresque mm. uh, situation where it's like, oh, we're, we're no longer dealing with that problem, we're dealing with a different problem. Like yeah, uh, Jason yeah. Mendoza's Molotov cocktails in The Good mm-hmm. Place. Like, whenever I have a problem, I make a Molotov cocktail, and then I've got a different problem, which is, you know, a beautiful zen attitude, I think. Mm. But at the same time, kind of like with the Paladin, it it felt a little bit like, okay, I need to throw something at them. Yeah, these assassins are too powerful, I'll deal with them, and then they can just deal with this new problem. I mean, it has the sense, I feel, of the DM going... No, you are going to find a fighter dragon. I have statted up this dragon. You're in a dungeon, it's time. There's there's a question actually, because we keep on talking about how a lot of the the plot movement, the decisions feel like uh, a DM dealing with the player's decisions and the player's roles, good and bad. Mm-hmm. Um so this is very, very close to the feel of a game. Do we think something like this is better if we get like that um, actual actual game going on just kind of in, in the background or do we think this is the best version of a D&D movie? Do we think that would detract? I think it would detract because then you'd be f- you'd be keeping being pulled away from what's actually happening. Yeah, like I feel yeah, it, it works as a D&D game without having the whole it was all a dream, none of this is really happening problem that would happen if you were, like, showing the players, so to speak. Yeah, I think... I like the idea... I like it, in theory, kind of being like, oh, look, they rolled badly, but I think I would have it as, like... As much as I don't like them as a thing, I would have it as, like, a post credit scene mm. where you just have... You know, pick out some of the extras from one of the crowd scenes, and just get them to p- to play the players, like getting up from the table at the end. Yeah, I mean, I I, I prefer it as like it's all real, but there are moments like ah, oh, that makes a lot of sense if you know how DMs work. Mm. I totally get what you mean about the deflation of the dramatic stakes that could happen there. Mm. Here's my um, my alternate proposal is um, it's a last action hero scenario. Well, you know, uh, Chris Chris Pine and pals, um, you show I'm pitching. They're like, oh my god, our lives are full of contrived peril and everything like that. And uh, you know what actually happens is you know maybe save it for the sequel that they get out of the game and into the room with those players in and they fight the DM IRL. I mean, to be fair, my life is full of contrived peril. Um, Mostly contrived by the government. Yeah, uh, the other thing is I like the idea of Chris Pine gets out of the game and then becomes, um, with his charisma as a bard, famous movie char- movie actor Chris Pine, and then sets makes this uh, movie about his adventures in the D and D world, which ends with him coming out of the game and becoming famous actor Chris Pine. It was a cry for help. <laughs> help him get home. <laughs> or help him free all the other Dungeons and Dragons characters. 
<laughs> I think dealing with this level of recursion is how it feels when those little intellect eaters mm. come at you. When an intellect eater attacks you, you just experience an endless sequence of crisp pines. Oh no. Things I do absolutely love intellect devourers and genuinely, like props to the effects people for making them so adorable. Yeah. Like it's a brain with legs, but they made it cute. I want yeah. to pet one. Yeah, so for making it a brain with legs as opposed to something more intimidating looking. Yeah, they they really went like this stuff is like the creatures that they really had fun with, I think. Mm. The displacer beasts, the oh. tentacles on the displacer beast were Absolutely perfect. Yeah. Like I did yeah, like there, I did really like the scene where the guy hits displacer beast that just passes through its body and then just turns around to the actual displacer beast coming up behind him. Mm. Mm. Oh perfect. speaking of the maze scene the fun trivia, the the party in the cage is the party from the TV show. So I'm delighted to inform you, Pencil, that Eric is probably dead. Yay! <laughs> At last. <laughs> uh, yeah, like, right. if, this, if this is established in the same setting as the D&D cartoon, that, uh, that raises a lot of interesting questions. Like, where was the DM? Uh, that's, that's who was making the dragons appear. <laughs> The DM got bored and ran Honor Among Thieves instead. It's a more fun campaign. Is this the second D&D film that has implied that party's death? Hmm. Just no one likes them. Honestly, I, I just... I love that multiple people... Possibly the same person, given this film shared a producer with the first couple, um, <laughs> just been like, nah, fuck those kids. Yeah, so I, yeah, like it was good. I would go recommend Chris Pine if you're listening. Give us money for sponsoring you. <laughs> or just come on the podcast. It would be an interesting experience for all involved. If anyone here is Chris Pine or acting on behalf of Chris Pine, or Hugh Grant, yeah, I'm just I'm just trying to work out who is the who would be the likeliest to to come on the probably bad podcast and talk about. I mean, I feel like the actual likeliest from the main cast is probably Justice Smith. Probably. Maybe the maybe the villain. The villain. Yeah. Which one? Dungeon. <laughs> Can tell you paid real close attention. Yeah, um, I I did like wizard. how the two main villains were called Dungeon and Dragon. Uh, Attorneys at law. I did like the obligatory mimic too. The mimic was the great. mimic was great. Its mouth was so wet. <laughs> it was the moistest mimic I've ever seen, and boy, I've seen many mimics. Why did I read that like a reluctant advert sponsor read? <laughs> <laughs> Are you looking for a mimic for your home? Yes. Call oh eight hundred moist mimics to find out more. <laughs> I'm a fan of the um, the theatricality of, you know, the the robe turning red mm. as like, yeah. 
guess what? I'm a red. I'm a red wizard. Mm. I I love it being a red robe that is disguised as a black robe the whole time because surely. Is it like, are you allergic to other colours that you have to wear red the whole time, even weeks before when you're in disguise? I do like how she went in disguise as another equally sinister and clearly evil wizard. Yeah. Like... You, you thought I was a goth. <laughs> but... I like, it's a, yeah, I just great problem with you thought I was evil, but I was actually evil in another different way. <laughs> I I would give this film eight out of ten. The best D and D movie I've seen by a country mile. Hmm. And of the two I paid to to watch, which again, the other one I paid seventy pence. Um, definitely the best value for money, <laughs> including the cost of the cinema snacks. That's how you know it's good. But yeah, um, watch it. Now, drop what you're doing. <laughs> I'd give it Owl out of Bear. I would give it five Dungeons out of Dragons. You, you took the concept and you made even less sense with that. I'm, I wish I had your power. <laughs> um, yeah, the Owlbear thing is definitely an example of Rule Zero, I think, and mm. I like it. Because yeah. why shouldn't you be able to turn into an owlbear? It's just a combination of two different animals. Yeah, I think it yeah, it does have the sense that, like you said, there's a lot of sense of, like, you do something in gems, like, well, technically it's not allowed, but fuck it, it's cool. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much everything I've allowed in the game where the mechanics are a little bit fuzzy, I do just say, that's fun, and you're using your imagination. <laughs> Um, but if you want to reimburse us the cost of seeing this film and also the time that we bought one of the D&D movies in order to fully experience it... Honestly, it was... it's the, la the latter one that we would more like reimbursing for. Yeah, the, the Choose Your Own Adventure one was sure something. Um, you can go to patreon.com slash probablybadrpgideas. You could? Yeah, is, is the end of that sentence. Yeah, like, there's no more Twitter, I don't believe. I'm I'm still plugging away at the Twitter, but it's, yeah. It's a dying medium. It is. Like medium. But we will be on Tumblr as probably bad RPG ideas forever. If Tumblr goes down, we will send out tumbles ourselves. I will buy tumbleweeds and write bad ideas on them. And just release them into the breeze. But until that day, remember, remember to have, have a probably, probably bad, bad day. Probably. <laughs>